The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Sammy J, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Let's Be Real Podcast. I hope your day is going well, and I hope this episode hopefully makes your day a little bit better. This week, I got to chat with the incredibly talented writer, director, actor, James Morosini. And you may know him from the film I Love My Dad, which he wrote, starred, and directed. We talk about everything from filmmaking to college days and everything in between. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I'll see you in a bit. Bye. James, welcome to the Let's Be Real podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to be real. I am so excited for this because it's so rare that two people from the East Coast find each other in L.A. Is it that rare? I find it very rare. Really? Most people I know are either from the Bay Area, Seattle, or like 20 minutes outside of L.A. Or L.A. It's good to meet a fellow East Coaster. I know. I can feel it in your spirit. (laughs) Really? That's so interesting because a lot of people say are very surprised when they find out. I've gotten like, are you from San Diego before? Like quite a few times. No, there's like a knowing edge to you. Mm. (laughs) That's what, that's, that's how I can sense it. It's the East Coast in me. Yeah. You're like, I I don't have time for this. (laughs) It's the part of me that can like cut through crowds. That's right. When they're going too slow. I can feel that kind of, that. (laughs) <laughs> I can feel that attitude in you. I, I really can. It's ingrained in me. I don't know how it's not when you're born and raised in, like, in a city. How do you think you'd be different if you were raised here? I think – I was thinking about this, actually, because over the summer I traveled for the first time by myself. and I, where, where did you go? I went to Paris. Oh, nice. It was like a big trip. And I was thinking, like, man, being in New York really taught me to kind of like – I know how to go forward and walk forward without looking at anybody and just getting my way through. And I think that kind of way helped me a lot when traveling especially. I don't know if I'd have that if I didn't grow up in New York. I feel that. I think I'm somebody that when I walk down the street, I'm like kind of trying to make eye contact with everybody. I don't know why I do that. I think I just – If you can get a smile. If you can get a little like – I don't know if I'm looking for a smile or what what is going on in my brain that causes me to do that. But it is something I do. And then I'm like – I'm like, oh, that person doesn't want to look at me. (laughs) I guess it's because I'm not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know what you mean. I'll be walking across campus, and I just – I like to try and make sure I don't have a resting bitch face. Right. Just because you never know when opportunities arise to meet people. Right. So I try and have a nice face, and, you know, I'm just like, oh. How do you feel when somebody 
just comes right up to you, a stranger, and is like, hey, how, I guess that doesn't really happen that often. I don't, I, I don't know. Does I that happen to you often? Uh, no, I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not really something people do. Like a stranger is coming up to you and being like, hello, I'm this person. That's and it's the weird that I that, thought would happen Isn't it life? weird that that doesn't happen more often, that people just go up to you and go, hello, I'm Johnny. And you're like, yeah. hey, Johnny, what do you want? And they're like, nothing. I just thought I'd say hello. And you're like, well, dude, you want something, Johnny. What's going on? I mean, movies and TV, I think, gave me a very false sense of what reality would be like. It's true. Just going into high school, I thought it would be high school musical straight up. I was like, where? And then it was a bunch of prepubescent boys. I was like, yeah. this is high school? Yeah, high school, you, you were saying on the way up here that high school was tricky for you. And I, I really relate to that. It's I mean, high school's tough because everybody is trying to figure out who they are mm. simultaneously. So everybody's trying out different versions of themselves. And they're all just kind of colliding into one another. And, and meanwhile, you're trying out a version of yourself. And you're like, I, I remember every summer, I feel like I'd discover a version of myself that I thought was maybe more likable. Mm. And then that first week or two of school, I'd be like, this is the new me, everyone. (laughs) People would be like, oh, cool. And like (laughs) they would enjoy the novelty of this new version of me. And then I would run out of steam and then I would just revert to whoever I was. And then everyone would be like, oh, it's just him still. It's just so much easier to be yourself. I know. It's so hard Add social media onto it in this day and age when everyone's still trying to figure out yourself and you have, like, pressures that you didn't even know existed. It's how, how do you yeah. navigate this? It's funny. You're closer to the high school experience than I am. So it's it's more— What was your what was your high school experience mainly like? What I mean by closer is just it time-wise, you're, it happened more recently for yeah. you. Whereas for me, I think I've had an opportunity to process it and I, I don't know, like— you have, I, like, the distance. Yeah, like a few years out from high school. Uh, is that kind of where you're at? A few years out? Yeah. Two, two or three years two, out? Two years out. Yeah, it's like I was still going, how did I even – like, that was terrible. <laughs> and so, But, like, you know, now I'm, like, tw- you know, what, like 12 years out from high school? So I'm kind of like, huh, I'm able to see it with more perspective. It, encountering people from that period of my life has been really uh, – I guess you just see them as people and you're like, oh man, that they're they're not really scary anymore. You're and you're, you put them on a pedestal. You put as them on a pedestal. Someone that they're not. Yeah. As bigger than life, as a character, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like a character. And because you don't know when you're that age, you also haven't met that many people. So each person you meet feels like much more of a distinct presence that you're that feels like a character like you you, you're like oh that's this person and that's this whereas when you're older i think you just are like if you don't like somebody you can move on a lot more quickly yeah or high school you're trapped with them that's right you're just yeah you're literally trapped with them like how is that at all tenable i i couldn't do that now it felt really big i remember everything felt really big but for me what was my outlet was my work so it would give me a perspective to be like okay this feels really big but wait there's a whole career out there something that I want to do that's bigger than myself and that kind of pulled me away from mm-hmm. the high school so I think having an outlet was really helpful for me and having it be around adults made me realize mm. like okay this is only temporary because mm. I really did not thrive in that and I've always gotten along better with adults just because I've always felt older than my age <laughs> I've always felt similarly. It's hard to remember the temporariness of high school when mm-hmm. you're in it. You're like, this is what it is you're forever. You're like, this is everything. This is what it is. Yeah. And you can't really wrap your head around what it would look like after high school when you're in high school. I know. I remember it's like college – what is college? And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, this is just a different type of social experiment. Totally. <laughs> like this is just real. You put a bunch of people from all over the country, all over the world, grown up in different, you know, places, different areas, different people, and then put them, live them together in two or three people a room, share a bathroom, and just post-pandemic, 
and see what happens. So crazy. I feel like that's a reality show in itself. I feel like it is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Living through it felt like <laughs> I was like something that I didn't realize going into college was that oh, it's like oh my goodness, there's gonna be so many more mature people. But I didn't take into account that it's just people from high school also going to college. <laughs> and, it's and so freshman true. year and sophomore year, there is that transition of this isn't high school anymore. This is life. And some people, you can tell, they will always be stuck in high school a little bit. But it's really interesting kind of seeing that evolution of people just in the past couple of years. I know. No, people are, yeah, I think some people get to high school and then they stay there forever. And they're kind of always locked into that version of themselves. What a shame not to grow. Well, that know. just doesn't sound fun Such to me. Such a shame. Such a shame. <laughs> So at, was it during high school or college? I know you went to college for film. When did you start making films and being interested in filmmaking and creating as a whole? Yeah, it's funny. I, so I went to college for theater and film. At, theater. Actually. So, yeah, so I was studying acting, and then I was also making a lot of things. And when you're studying acting at, like, a, a conservatory, you're doing, like, voice classes and movement classes and, like, scene study. And, and voice and movement classes, You're, I mean, you're essentially – uh, you're like rolling around on the floor. I mean, for anyone that hasn't taken a voice class, if you saw a voice class, you'd be like, this is the craziest thing. You're like, what is this? You're like on the floor basically doing like different yoga positions a lot of the time and oh. then and then making like sounds. Like you're trying to connect with your like uh, your, your diaphragm and your – because it's for that theater. That sounds so vulnerable. It's super vulnerable and you're also trying to like learn how to access – the emotion that lives in your body through yeah. sound similarly with movement just on on the movement front but so that's what my college experience was like when you study theater in a program like that you're you're really you learn a lot about who you are and and about your i hate myself for saying this but your instrument and and what what you're made of but you know i i didn't I've always been a creative person. When I was a little kid, I remember I would go up to my room and I would make comics and I would like come up with stories and then I would get really into the world of the story and I would I would write and draw these comics. I don't know where they came from. I never really showed them to anybody. Storyboarding before they you were knew like you were storyboarding. storyboarding. <laughs> and I was super – I was just like – I was always really into this idea that like I could – tell a story and the more of the story I told, the more real it felt mm. and that I could just keep exploring and there was like more and more the further into it I went. I remember I wrote this little comic book about, I think I was probably 10 or 11 years old, about like a bunch of like misfit medics, like EMTs. It was called Breathe and there were all <laughs> these like funky characters that were like trying to save people and stuff and I like wrote several issues of it and then I started the first like big creative endeavor I think I had I, I mean my dad got me a video camera when I was a little kid and uh, I would like make little movies of a my action figures and I would like do stop motion with my action figures that takes time it well, it did yeah and so it's like I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff I was always directing my home videos but I didn't I didn't necessarily think about it like I'm a film director. I just liked the idea of crafting things and putting it together. And then in high school, I made a lot of shorts and stuff with my video class, and I would act in other people's things. But I, I didn't really do any theater in high school. I don't know. I found it hard to connect with the folks at my school that were doing theater. I was more into, like, sports. I was boxing. I was wrestling. I was, like— I smoked a lot of pot when I was in high school. Would you say smoking weed helped you creatively? Create no, things? I think it hurt me creatively. It made me really paranoid and neurotic. Mm. And it's funny because I remember watching like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Dazed and Confused and Half Baked. And I was like, I loved stoner comedies. And I was always looking for the experience that characters in those films were having around weed. But, but I could never – get there, I always just felt like it made my brain move too fast mm. and made me have this like meta experience to whatever 
I was actually experiencing. Like it like oversensitized me and made me uh, question everything. And I like, I couldn't, it made me f- super paranoid, I think. A paranoid bad high is the worst feeling. And that was like every time for me. And I smoked every day. Why did school. you continue I, I don't know. I think I, was, <laughs> I think I was like, I liked the identity that it gave me of like, oh, I'm a stoner. I think I fetishized the idea of like, I, I don't know, there's a part of me that thought it was kind of luxurious. Like I get home, I smoke a blunt, <laughs> but I would do it and then I would just panic for the rest of the day. <laughs> You're like, I want this I, to be me, I, but it's I, not me. Yeah, exactly. Me. Like I would try to make it g- enjoyable for myself. Like I would make a bunch of food and like put on a movie, but I'd be like- You really went all out. Freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I like this, I promise. Why? Yeah, exactly. So- <laughs> So then in terms of the filmmaking I was doing, I would like film uh, when there were like fights at my school or sometimes like if there were people that were uh, mad at each other in school. <laughs> you just pull out a camera. They would like plan a fight. They would go like, okay, we're going to meet at the basketball court after school. Uh, I was participant to a couple of those throughout my high school experience. But we would f- I would film those. And then share them with people because they were crazy looking. Um, but I was like viral re- fight videos before I, they were a thing. Yeah, I was like really into that. Uh, and then I was like making kind of jackass type videos. I was really into CKY at the time, which was a predecessor to Jackass. And I was also really into Jackass. And I and I was watching so many films. And it's funny. I wasn't like I wasn't like oh I'm a film kid. I just was obsessed with movies. And I didn't really have a ton of friends that were also obsessed with movies. I was kind of doing it on my own. And then after school, I took a year off and I, I was in New York and I tried working as an actor. Um, How'd that go? Not super well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? At least you did it. I tried. Uh, and I just like I it was just like I didn't I, I hadn't really developed like life tools yet to mm. to really be able to navigate the ups and downs of that and i think so much of any creative work is about like really being okay with yourself in a way or or like having confidence in your voice and i hadn't i i didn't have that confidence in my voice i don't think now i have extreme <laughs> confidence no. <laughs> now i'm the most confident no, but person it, 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 but it's funny i'm saying that i'm also like Sometimes I feel like I'm creating from a place of my insecurity and I'm like doing it to express what that feels like. So it's it's funny. I don't know if you necessarily need to feel confident to be uh, – Fake it till you make it. That's what totally I do. Totally fake it till you make it or just be really honest about – like I, I would – I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable being really honest about who I am and what I'm feeling. And I think that's uh, that's helped me create from a from a place that I – that resonates with me more, and I feel like that's kind of the compass I use to to determine if it's going to resonate with audiences and other people. And it's kind of one of those things where if you talk about something and no one talks about it, and you talk about it, you realize people are going through it too. Totally. And then other people start talking about it, and it's just a chain reaction. It's just about getting the first one going. It's so true. I know. It's, it's weird that many of us go through the world, and there's this feeling like we all have to pretend like we're doing great. When in reality, like, when we're on our own, a lot of the time we're not. We're anxious about something. Or and that's okay. It's totally okay, and it's very normal. I think that's what drew me to filmmaking was, like, trying to capture that experience, that universal experience that we're all, that we're all having on our own or in our own minds, and, but do it in a context that was super entertaining and weird and, and funky. Do you remember the first movie you wrote? Oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, so the first, like, actual movie I wrote like the first feature I wrote was about my high school experience, and uh, I still might make that movie. I think movies about high school experiences, like real high school experiences, yeah. need to be made more. I agree. Like I think eighth grade showed that really so well. Good. I hope that gets made because it can relate to. Yeah, that movie so is called much. Acne, and it feels kind of like eighth grade meets Goodfellas. Okay, that's I love the pitch. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I how I think about it, um, but. The first movie I think I ever wrote, I mean, it's it's hard to remember exactly. I think I wrote something in college. It was about a really sensitive T-Rex 
that like couldn't um, he couldn't connect with anybody because everyone was really scared of him. Sounds like an animated show. To it me. was an animated show. Yeah, it was like this really sensitive T Rex that couldn't, and and all the other dinosaurs were terrified of him, and he was like, and everyone was like, the other T Rexes were like, dude, you got to get it together. Like you're kind of. <laughs> like you're kind of like why are you so overly and he was like he just felt really awkward with his little arms <laughs> like he he felt uncomfortable in his own skin I think I was maybe working something out through this <laughs> sensitive T-Rex and I remember I shared it with a filmmaker that I was uh, in school with I think I went we were at Coachella and I told him about it and I Always think, great place for a business bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and he just kind of shit on it. I mean, he just told me how – he just, like, made me feel like it was a bad idea. And it's funny. Like, thinking about it now, I'm like, that actually sounds like a cool show. Like, I I don't know. So much of creating is just going, like – It's is, trusting your gut. It's trusting your gut and being like, if I think it's cool, then it's cool. I don't care what anyone else thinks. It, it, it's like you can listen to what other people are saying, but, like, it's not – no one has any idea what they're talking about. And it's it, the people that are making uh, brilliant work are just the people that have real, like realized that the most fully and are just kind of like, yeah, I think it's cool and I'm going to follow what I like. Yeah, and it's having success mean to you being like, if it's not successful, it doesn't make a lot of money, I'm so proud of what I made because that's, right. that's what it should be. Totally. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about the balance between the economics of filmmaking versus doing something that satisfies you creatively. Your film, I Love My Dad, and so much more. We'll be right back. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I know it's hard when you're a filmmaker you have to make a living and you have to be realistic, but at the same time, it's your creative pursuit. So how do you balance the two of those? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, when I first got out of college, uh, I was uh, catering and bartending and working as a uh, table service assistant to cocktail waitresses at nightclubs. Like I was just doing anything I could to to make ends meet. Uh, and then I was also auditioning a ton and – um, and it was a tricky time in my life. I was getting these migraines, uh, constantly like several a week to the point where they were debilitating. And so it was kind of a dark time right after college where I was trying to figure out work as an actor and a filmmaker. And I, I couldn't really, I was just like too anxiety ridden to, to really land anything. And then I was working long, long nights working in the service industry and then barely making ends meet to live in like this tiny, tiny studio apartment in Hollywood. And so for a while, the balance was just like, how do I survive? And then how do I – but I held myself to account that I was going to spend at least one hour every day on my creative work and and was going to spend an hour a day just focusing on what really excited me creatively. And then that hour grew and uh, became longer. But I, I just knew, okay, if I can – it's funny. I, I, my uncle was the actor Christopher Reeve. Uh, and Very famous actor. Very famous actor. And I – when he passed away, Philip Seymour Hoffman was a, a, around my family a lot and, and was really good to my cousin Will, uh, Chris's son. And he told me that I should just – you just have to do one creative thing every day or one thing toward your goal every day, even if it's small. But if you do that, if you do one thing every day, it it accretes and those small actions become big results or they become consequential. So that's kind of – that was kind of my mantra for the first couple of years out of college and then I started working as an actor. So I had some money, uh, not a ton, but I, I had enough to pay my rent. I didn't have to – uh, cater and bartend and stuff anymore. And then I started being able to have free time to write and make stuff. And uh, I was able to upgrade to a more comfortable living situation and started meeting, having more friends out here and collaborating with them. And uh, But in terms of this balance of like creative and financial, you know, at the end of the day, like it's just the most satisfying thing is being able to make exactly what you want to make. So for the movie that I just made, I Love My Dad, the person that financed it gave me final cut on the movie. So I was able Whoa. to make exactly the movie that I wanted That's to make. That's a dream. Yeah. And so contractually, I was making every decision uh, and having that creative authority meant a lot to me and allowed me to just give everything I had to the process. But you know, it, now I'm getting presented with a lot of really compelling offers that have big financial uh, upside behind them. And sometimes the scripts are not good or sometimes there are elements to the project that aren't creatively exciting and it's required a lot of discipline uh, navigating. Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity or just like not not operating out of fear and going like, mm. okay, well, I, I'll just take this because it's a lot of money and then I'll do what – I'm creatively excited by. It's like it's required this kind of internal 
diligence of going, what is the weirdest, craziest, funkiest thing that I can imagine? And how can I, how can I continue getting behind that? You know, regardless of what I'm making for it or whatever, that's, that's how I feel most myself. You know, that is so interesting you say that because I've been living by that. I call it the 1% rule, just doing one thing a day to make yourself better mm. in one aspect. I love that. And it's, I've also been doing one thing a day to make myself uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, boy, it's made me uncomfortable. Whoa. And I, uh, I'm an anxious girly at heart, um, so it really pushes me. I'm an anxious girly at heart, oh, too. <laughs> I love that. We, find, we always find each other. Um, no, I found, for me at least, I've grow, grown up with anxiety and OCD my entire life, and it's just been very interesting to navigate because I always felt like there was something wrong with me or that I wasn't good at something. And so for me, podcasting was and interviewing was the first time I realized, like, wait a second, there is something I'm good at. Mm. I can tell a story. Mm. I can talk to people. And so it was kind of what I first fell in love in. So I feel like just constantly, like, I never thought I'd fall into this and just I'm trying to immerse myself in as many mediums and varieties as possible. So that reminded me of that. Oh, so cool. Yeah, what, what was the first, do you remember the first podcast you ever did? Oh, yeah. Um, what was that like? So I am the biggest – do you ever hear the song Anxiety by Julia Michaels and Selena Gomez? Uh, maybe I'd recognize it if I heard it. Okay. So when I first heard this song, I was, like, going through it in high school. Yeah. And I was working for Radio Disney at the time. Okay. Um, and I had interviewed Julia Michaels, who sang the song, who, like, I was obsessed with her music. Um, and she remembered me, and it was about the time the podcast was happening. Yeah. Um, and I was, like – if Julia Michaels could be the pilot on my podcast, like that would be a dream. And uh, the head of Radio Disney, who I told about the pilot, was like, oh, I'm friends with her. I'll ask. You interviewed her. Hmm. And then she agreed to do the pilot. I had never done a long-form interview before. Wow. Longest I'd done was 12 minutes, and then we did an hour-and-a-half interview. Whoa. And then usually with podcast series, you, you know, wait until it's edited to see if it gets greenlit. Mine was a little bit different because after nine days, still unedited, we got greenlit to series after that episode. So I owe Julia, like, so much now. Wow. <laughs> and that was the start of it. And how doing one thing a day, whether it's small or big, has truly, like, just changed my life. So, so I cool. live by that. So cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely how I've proceeded through my life as well. I mean, I, what, what was the last thing that you did that was uncomfortable? Oh, my goodness. I asked someone out for coffee. Wow. That's always so hard. Isn't mm -hmm. that weird that, it's, that that feels so climactic? But you know what? It counts as my one thing a day. Totally. I also, um, my viewers know this, but I've been doing tap some of this, this semester. Okay. I've never tapped before. Wow. Um, I'm doing it again next semester just to pick up that's some cool. hobbies. I took a ballet class in college, um, and it was— it was uh, So hard. It was— it was, it was, it was Humbling? It was humbling. <laughs> it was me, almost all women, and then a couple, uh, a couple football players that I think were taking it for balance. I balance, I think. I mean, so it was. I feel like I would like goof around with them, and then sometimes I would get really into it, and like it's 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 fun always like pushing forward your hobby or your passion in one way, and whether that's writing an email to someone or doing an activity to, like, progress yourself. Like, it's so simple, but just breaking it down has been super helpful for yeah. me, I found. Yeah, it's like, I think, I guess I think about it, like, the more, like, any time I have, like, the quietest instinct in my mind, I try to just bring it to the surface, and I try to listen to it, and I try to just act on it. I journal a lot, and it helps me discover what those impulses might be. Mm. Uh, and when I'm creating something, that's really my primary tool is having this, like, ongoing long-form conversation with myself so that I can be like, oh, this thing is important to me or that thing. Or, like, uh, it helps me detect – uh, things that might feel off about what I'm doing or like something that might be bothering me. So much of my creative life and the way I try to navigate my life as a whole feel like they're operating around the same principles, which mm. is like sometimes like sensitizing myself to, to what things feel like or what I'm aiming at um, or what I want or what I don't want. But like how deeply can I listen to, to what is actually happening in my mind and, and 
in my environment and what's being reflected back to me. Mm. And then how can I work with that feeling and shape it really or put it into a context like a film or, or a story or whatever, but how can I express that feeling in a way that is satisfying for me to divulge? You know, I, I think uh, it's such a relief when you express a deep nuanced feeling that mm. y- you've been holding on to. It's such a relief to express that and then have somebody go, I feel the same way. And so I feel like why I am a filmmaker or an actor or any of these things is just because I'm going – there is, I think. It's your outlet. It's my outlet, and I feel like I'm inherently kind of often pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a coping mechanism. It's like, hey, does anyone else feel this? Like, what's going on? This I can't be that. right. Does anybody else – is anybody else feeling this? Or like if I have a moment where I – you know, I, something strikes me as like extremely beautiful and I'm like, ah, oh, God, I want somebody else to share in this thing that I'm – experiencing and it comes from a place of like a real loneliness really and like but wanting to share with other people in that feeling and go like hey it am i alone here or are other people feeling this way too okay we have to take one final break but when we come back i want to talk more about anxiety and how it affects your filmmaking process your amazing movie i love my dad and so much more we'll be right back There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. 
employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. How has your anxiety affect your filmmaking, or does it hurt? Do you feel more yourself and it helps with your anxiety when you're working or does it have the opposite effect for you? It's a great question. I think it's a it's it, it's kind of both things honestly. Like when I'm making a film, uh sometimes anxiety I found is helpful in that it it forces me into action, but it's often fight or flight whether you want it or yeah, not. Yeah, <laughs> totally, but it's it's often not the kind of action that produces the best results. So by that, I mean, if I'm like anxiously, we got to get this, I've got to write this or I've got to get this take or we've got to do this or that, it contaminates everybody else's headspace and makes them anxious too, which I think limits people's ability to be free and create from a place of trust and and playfulness. And collaboration. Totally. It's like we're all of a sudden creating and operating from a place of fear Mm. which is just not... Filmmaking should be fun at the end of the day. It should be fun, yeah, and it should be playful. And I think that it's hard to have... uh, It should be fun because you're asking an audience to have fun. I look at the experience of a film that I'm making is like the experience I imagine of a of a good friend or person mm. of like and you want that person to be free and playful and silly and deep and dynamic and if you're freaking out you know you don't want to be with a friend that's just like freaking <laughs> out and that and and nervous so they're just making small talk and don't have freedom of expression so sure my anxiety compels me into action but I feel like I'm in uh, I'm in my strike zone when I'm like letting go of that as much as I can, and I take some deep breaths, and I'm I'm kind of slowing way down, and I'm just giving myself permission to be exactly where I am and creating from that place. And I think the work I've done from that place is the work I'm the proudest of because I think it delivers that same experience to an audience. I mean, I definitely felt that way with I Love My Dad. Oh, thank I. You genuinely love how it's written the social media elements that are throughout the way it's like it's just so well done and I know it's based on a true story from when you were growing up do you often pull from true stories or do you like to create generally something fresh it's sometimes a useful jumping off point Mm -hmm. uh, because it feels like I have something to really something to say about whatever that You've experienced yeah, it. Yeah, I have some authority around that subject. But I, I generally am using it just as a jumping off point because I think that, that if I'm like trying to capture it very literally, that's not the point and it doesn't – That's it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that and like it needs to be a window into the universal. Mm-hmm. It's not just the thing itself. I mean – it's like taking elements of it and then going, thinking about the theme and what you're trying to say. Like with my movie, it's metaphorically and poetically and emotionally all true, but I wasn't beholden to beat by beat what literally occurred. Yeah. Because uh, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's it's about how do I – Use it as a catalyst. Yeah, and how do I deliver uh, the felt experience so what was pre-production like? How long did it take you to write the script generally? And then at what point did you go into production? Yeah, I think I took like a year or so to write the script. Uh, the, the movie was going to be called Age, Sex, Location. Uh, oh, back very the, different. Back in the day, for people that are familiar with were you on like AOL Instant Messenger? Was that before your time? I uh, I wasn't on AOL, but I'm very. My mom is still on AOL. Oh wow! She has not <laughs> gone to Gmail. There were like chat rooms. Oh, I'm very aware where of these go, chat like, rooms. ASL, and then you'd be like, fifteen M M A or whatever, <laughs> and you'd like meet random people that way. Uh, that that was a thing, and so that there was. I was kind of pulling from that whole realm of of my past, and then. As the story took more shape, uh, the title shifted and the the subject 
really shifted to what it became. And the writing process was super uh, iterative. I would share it with a lot of folks. I got a lot of help. Uh, and I continue to get a lot of help in everything I do because I try to surround myself with really smart, creative people and really listen to what their thoughts are. And It can only make your work better. It makes your work better. And, and even if you get feedback that you think is not accurate, it helps you understand what you are chasing and what you are after. And so, yeah, it took about a year and then I brought Patton on board and then I built the cast around Patton and then we shot it in June and July of 2021 and um, in Syracuse, New York, with a company called American High who had done a lot of uh, like high school set movies for Hulu. So we had all of our production services and stuff run through them and then they may be good for acne you never know <laughs> yeah right totally and and um they were great we also worked with a great company called hans motion pictures and burn later and several other folks you know and, and i edited the movie sent it off to south by and then how long did editing take uh probably like eight to ten weeks the the toughest parts of the process were like getting the tone right in the edit because it's it's such a delicate tone. It's so specific. It's too. so specific. Like it could so easily feel like I didn't want it to feel slapsticky, and I also didn't want it to feel like hyper sentimentalized. It needed to kind of have this balance of uh, sincerity and sarcasm, where there was this kind of tonal ambiguity throughout, where you weren't exactly sure how you should be feeling about it. I wanted to have the audience feel a little on edge because that's really the feeling that. I think I had growing up, especially with my dad, of just like, where are like what, <laughs> what's happening? What's <laughs> happening? Are you being honest with me? Are you are we in a good place? Are we is there tension? Like this kind of feeling like you're on your back foot, that that kind of push and pull throughout the story. And it's funny, I was I mean, I was kind of making two movies in one, uh, where it's like in my character Franklin's world, he's kind of in this rom-com where he's meeting. He's like, I finally found I someone. I finally <laughs> found someone. She's amazing. You know, uh, we were lucky to have Claudia Saluski play that part, who I know you talked to, and, and she was just phenomenal. And, and Kat really, She killed that she role. She killed it. I mean, she really kind of captured the spirit of what was required there. And then we were lucky to have Patton Oswalt to play uh, Chuck, who plays my dad in the film. Uh, Franklin's dad. The casting uh, is just so it's so perfect because it just it feels real and realistic. I don't know. I felt like the casting of Claudia was perfect because she's gorgeous. So she, you know, could play a catfish, but also has this great personality. We get to see her character unravel a bit too. Totally. Yeah. So it's 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 funny. It's like I was making this. I I'm a big believer that genre should come from the character in the film. Like, what movie do they think they're in? Because mm. we're kind of subjectively rooted in them. And sometimes it's fun to subvert that and have the character think they're in a different film than they are. And in the case of my film, that was kind of the case. My, yeah. <laughs> my character thinks he's in a rom-com. And then from Chuck's perspective, he's in, like, uh, Uncut Gems or something. Like, he's... His <laughs> he's in an episode of Catfish. <laughs> yeah, like, his life is unraveling, and he's just trying to keep up in every decision he makes, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Wow. And so all in all, you spent about two years on this film, would you yeah, say? Yeah, I'd say maybe two two, th two or three. I mean, the, it's funny. Like once you release a movie, you're, you still do – you know, I, I traveled around uh, the country doing festivals. Yeah. And Which is a whole other world totally, in itself. Yeah. What what was it like going into festivals? I mean, just so fun. It's a movie that was really exciting to see in theater uh, because it's there are parts that are so uncomfortable, and <laughs> <Yep>. you're, you're just, <laughs> and you're just like it's so fun to watch with other people because you're able to kind of delight in the discomfort together, similar to how you'd experience like a horror movie where the more people you're watching with, the more fun it is because you're getting to hear people's people screaming and reacting to it. And there's like another, that's another part of the whole experience. Just going to the theaters finally and being able to be in a theater. I was with my friend when I watched it and my reaction was just, ah! No way. Yeah, it's like, and it's Constantly. it's it's fun because you're then able to like connect with the person or people you're with watching this movie, and, and we'll be on Hulu, I think, by the time anyone who's listening to this hears this. 
And so, yeah, I would just encourage people to watch it with somebody else because I think it's it's kind, I, I, it's a tough watch, I think, to watch solo. I mean, it'd be fun. It'd be fun, but still make you crawl a little bit in your skin. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to kind of celebrate how heightened and uncomfortable. Like, the, I definitely made it for for that element. You built it. it up to the point. Yeah, like, like very I want, well. Th- like how uh, how crazy it gets. I wanted to be celebrated like with other people like so that you're it's like you're like oh my god I don't know I'm a big fan of like when somebody is telling me a story or I'm telling somebody a story of like an awkward thing that happened there's something just fun about like collectively cringing it's it's the collective cringe and not knowing what's gonna happen next yeah you're like please no 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 (laughs) you're like but yes 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 yes. yeah yeah yeah. you're like and it's weird it's almost like this masochistic appetite that we have to like see how bad it can get because I think it's like it watching ma- the car crash you can't look totally. but you gotta exactly exactly and when we're watching like a social car crash I think there's something that's weirdly healing about it because we can relate so strongly and we've all been there where we're just like how am I in this conversation or like there's this misunderstanding or there's something in the unspoken and it makes us feel so lonely because we're like gosh I wish somebody else was witness to this feeling that I'm having. And so... Uh, if you've communicated with anyone via the internet, you can relate to this right. movie in some aspect. Totally. So the festival experience was great. It was just exciting to see different parts of the country react differently. Um, I mean, you get to see all these places that you normally wouldn't. I, I got to spend a week in Nantucket. I was in Seattle. I was in Traverse City. Traveling a little bit everywhere. So fun. And then and then I was able to go internationally. I was like, I showed the film in London and they really dug it. Uh, I was in Rome. And then the the movie continued all around the country, all around the world. And it was just, uh, it's just cool to see all these different groups of people experience the film differently. And it's just going to keep going. Yeah. It's just going to keep, it's creating a life for itself. I know. It's such a trip. And it's something you created, and that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what you do next, whether writing, directing, acting. I'm just, I think you're, the way you go about filmmaking is really smart, just from the character's perspective and not having an overall, like, it has to be this theme. Because not a lot of people, I feel like, go from that perspective, but it goes to the human element of it, which is what we're all drawn to. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on my podcast and taking the time, and this was so great. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Yay. I appreciate it. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.